Welcome to the second official Sunday of Missions Month. Uh, I'm excited about what God has already done. If you go outside, like Judah said, you're going to see some of what God has already done. But I'm excited for what God is going to do. And here's what I want to do today. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to try to see. With your eyes closed, I want you to try to see. I want you to think about how confusing it is that no matter how much you try to see, you can see nothing. It's darkness, nothing. For some of you, I can feel there's fear rising, anxiety increasing, not knowing if you'll ever be able to see again, not knowing if you'll ever be able to see your loved ones, to experience the joy of light and life again. It's nothing. It's darkness. Now I want you to open your eyes and look at me. This is the reality for over 3 billion people in the world today. No hope for eternity, no expectation of eternal life, and no hope for Jesus and his salvation. What hope is left for them? titled our message today, Obey the Lord, Begin Your Mission. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. Let's begin. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the setting for our story today. We have a man named Saul, who is actually just a guy named the Apostle Paul later. So we're going to use Paul and Saul interchangeably. Saul is on a mission of murder. He's on a mission to bind followers of Christ, bring them to prison with the hope that they will be killed. As Saul is going on this mission, a light shines around him, probably brighter than these lights. And he falls to the ground and he hears a voice. Why are you persecuting me? Saul continues. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, let me remind you, Saul is a good Jew. He knows his Old Testament. He's a scholar. He knows that when a light shines in the Old Testament and a voice speaks, God is trying to say something to him. So Paul responds with respect. Who are you, Lord? What he didn't expect 
was what the voice would say to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And what does Jesus say? Jesus continues in verse six, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he was blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The light shines. Jesus speaks. Saul's on the ground. He wakes up. His eyes are opened. He can see nothing. There's an important note to make here. We know that Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, is tracking with the book of Isaiah. We know this because Luke ends Acts with a quote from Isaiah, and almost in every chapter, you're going to find the book of Isaiah come up. Now, this will be important in a minute to understanding the story of Paul. Let's zoom in. It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he was blind. Jesus confronts Saul. Something changes. His eyes are opened, and yet he cannot see. Now, there are two reasons why this is, two reasons why Paul was blinded. The first reason is that God was physically blinding Paul to stop Paul from harming others. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Genesis 19, there's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is at his home. A group of people show up and they're about to do something on a mission of murder. God blinds them. God physically blinds Saul to stop his mission of murder. But maybe more important than this is that Paul is spiritually blind because his hardened heart is still softening. This comes almost directly out of Isaiah chapter 42, which is a whole chapter about the spiritual blindness of Israel. The people Paul comes from. Paul is spiritually blind because his hardened heart is still softening. Now, let me, let me confess something to you. I know what it's like to have your eyes open and to still be spiritually blind. I don't come from a Christian family. I don't come from a religious family. I come from, for all intents and purposes, an atheist family. My dad would say things like, well, something can't come from nothing, but it's definitely not that fairy tale of a Bible. However, when I look back on my life and I ask God, where did you meet me? I see time and time again, God confronted me and yet I was left spiritually blind. God confronted me and yet I was still left spiritually blind. This tells us something about Paul's story, something important that we might miss over if we haven't read it before. Christ's vision does not convert Paul, but rather confronts Paul to draw Paul 
to himself. And I want to tell you, this is what Jesus is doing with all people. This is what Jesus is doing with all people. John 12 says it like this, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. Second Peter 3.9 says it like this, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is what Jesus did with Paul. This is why Paul's story is told in the way that it is. It's for a reason related to this. What's that reason? Let's continue. Acts 9, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I know this guy. I've heard what he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. This is why Jesus' vision does not convert Paul directly. This reason right here. Because God is drawing Ananias to himself to send Ananias to Paul. Notice, Paul didn't just get a vision of Jesus. You see it up there? You see it here? Paul got a vision from Jesus of Ananias. Right? Do you see that on the screen here? Yet Ananias knows this is God's call. But he's scary. He's dangerous. Paul's unstable. He's killing your people, Lord. What do I do? Let's continue to verse 14. It says this, And here Paul has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. And I can feel the fear. The Lord said, go. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. And what happened? So Ananias departed. He entered the house. He laid hands on Paul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming to me has sent me. Why? So that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias knows the danger He knows what it means if he does this, and yet he obeys anyway. 
What does he say to Paul? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who came to you, he's come to me. He sent me to you so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. This is the exact reason why Christ's vision does not convert Saul. God had another plan in mind the whole time. God's plan was never to let the believers sit on the sidelines, but rather to work through the obedience of the believer to lead others to Christ. God's plan was always to use Ananias to lead Paul to Christ. This was always God's plan. And what was the result? What happened? Verse 18 says this, and immediately, immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he's baptized and then he takes food and he eats it. The scales fell. Paul's hardened heart was softened by the truth of Jesus. His rebellion was over. His grief was over. His mission of murder was over. And it was all because God worked through the obedience of Ananias. God worked through the obedience of Ananias. Now, there are many indicators in the passage that it's not Christ's vision that converts Paul but rather God working through Ananias. The clearest is this word right here, baptized. That Paul was baptized. Why? Because we know the requirements for baptism. How do we know the requirements for baptism? If you go to Acts 9 and you flip back one chapter, you have Acts chapter 8. Does anybody know what happened in Acts chapter 8? The Ethiopian eunuch is baptized by Philip. Do you know what happens in the verse right before he's baptized? It says, and he believed in Jesus. And when was he baptized? Immediately after he believed. We know This was God's plan the whole time. Not to confront Paul, knock him down, strangle him and say, come to me. But to use a man we don't know about, Ananias, who is he? To lead the greatest evangelist in the world to Christ. This is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. Flip Acts 9, one chapter forward. What do you see? Acts chapter 10. What happens in Acts chapter 10? God comes to Peter and the non-Christian Cornelius. Does God convert Cornelius? No. God tells Peter, you need to go to Cornelius. What happens when Peter goes to Cornelius? His whole family believes. And immediately they are baptized. This just is the pattern all throughout the book of Acts. 
And this means something important. The obedience of Ananias was necessary to lead Paul to Christ. God could have just converted Paul directly. He could have done that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But this is the Bible. This is what we call sacred scripture. This is the word of God. And it tells us that God's plan was always to work through Ananias to lead Paul to Christ. This was God's sovereign plan. And this is really true. Let me tell you a few stories in one story. All over the world, millions of people, you heard me right, millions of people are getting dreams and visions of Jesus. Millions. Often in those dreams and visions, Jesus does not convert them directly. In fact, what Jesus tells them is, hey, go to this location. And at that location, you will find a missionary reading a Bible under a tree at 3 p.m. on this road during this day, and it'll be really hot. So bring a coat. This is happening all over the world. Jesus is appearing to the non-Christian, and he's appearing to the Christian. He's leading the non-Christian to a believer, and he's sending the believer to the non-believer. This is happening in our world today. So what have we seen so far? We have seen God draws Paul to himself. God draws Paul to himself. But then God sends Ananias to lead Paul to Christ and to disciple Paul. And now we get to see the result. This is the exciting part of the story. What is the result of Ananias' obedience to disciple Paul? Verse 20. For some days, Paul was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem with the people who call on your name? Has he not come for this reason to bind them before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Apparently, a key component in Ananias' discipleship training for Paul was to help him see, brother, sharing your faith is immediately what you do when you come to Jesus. I didn't say it. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus. He didn't wait. He didn't wait till he had all the theological puzzles worked out. He didn't wait till he had all the right language he didn't wait till everything made sense to him. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus. But that's not all he did immediately. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul. But their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is an amazing detail. We may skip over this when we read Acts 9, but this is an incredible detail. Paul apparently doesn't just share 
his faith immediately. He apparently starts to make disciples immediately. Where did these guys come from? Paul's obedience. Ananias didn't just disciple Paul to be a disciple. Ananias discipled Paul to be a disciple maker. To be a disciple maker. That's the third thing we see in Acts chapter 9. God uses Paul immediately to begin leading others to Christ and making disciples. Now, it's missions month, right? You might be wondering, how is this about missions? (laughs) What are we missing? What we're missing is this little verse right here. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. Paul is a chosen instrument. He is elected by God for a task. Something that he is going to do. And what's that? To carry the name of the Lord. Where's Luke getting that language from? He's getting it from Exodus chapter 20. It says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This word take in Hebrew is the word carry. Is the word carry. It's all about how we represent God by carrying the name of the Lord with us wherever we go. Remember Paul's situation. He's on a mission of murder. He's carrying the name of the Lord on a mission of murder. If he's going to belong to Jesus, the way he carries the name of the Lord is going to have to change. And it's going to have to change dramatically. There's a, uh, a Bible scholar, her name's Dr. Carmen Imes. She wrote a great book called Bearing God's Name. Here's what she says. Belonging to Christ is expected to result in behavior consistent with a profession of faith. Why would there be any connection at all between believers' behavior and Jesus' name? Because they bear his name. Christ's coming had ushered in a new era of redemption, but the mission was the same. While Israel's task had been to bear Yahweh's name among the nations, the church is now to bear Jesus' name among the nations. This is what Paul is chosen to do. He thinks he's carrying the name of Yahweh. And Jesus said, you're carrying it the wrong way, buddy. We got something new to do here, to take Jesus' name. But where is Paul called to take it? To the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the children of Israel. So my question to you is, what is this? This is all nations. The Gentiles are just everyone who's not of the children of Israel. The kings are the upper class. Paul is called to bear the name of the Lord, to carry it among all nations. 
Or to put it simply, Paul, go and be my witness to all nations. Does does that sound familiar to you? That's because God's mission became Paul's mission, which just is the Great Commission. God's mission just is the Great Commission. When he was commissioning Paul, this is what he was saying. So what's my mission? What's my mission? My mission is the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says it like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And know this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is his mission. This is your mission. This is our mission. And this is my mission. The world needs Jesus. And God expects you to bring Jesus to them and you to lead them to Jesus. This is his heart. This is what Ananias did for Paul. And just like Ananias, Jesus will not make disciples for us. He will make disciples through us. We are his chosen instrument by which he has chosen to make disciples. You want him to do it for you? Me too. (laughs) He's chosen to do it through you and through me. That's the Great Commission. That's what this is all about. And there are four key components to the Great Commission. Start with number one, the task. What am I supposed to do? What? Number two is the scope. Where am I supposed to do it? Number three is the process. How am I supposed to do it? And then number four is the promise. Why would I choose to do it? Let's start with the task. What is our task? Our task is to go and make disciples. This is what we are supposed to do, to go and make disciples. It's all about disciple making. And I hate to tell you this, but God has no plan B. This is his plan A, and he has no plan B. What's the scope? Where are we supposed to do it? This is the scope of all nations. This is how far we're supposed to take our mission. This is where we are supposed to go and make disciples. If you want to answer simply the question, what is my mission? My mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. As we like to say and beyond, my mission is to disciple the nations. My mission is to disciple the nations. But here's the reality. 99% of you 
will never leave your own people, right? Whether we like it or not, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, we will not leave our own people. So you might be thinking, how is this relevant to me? Why does this matter to me? What point, what part, what do I have to do with any of this? This is all ridiculous. Let me show you something that I hope will change your view of your purpose in ministry and your purpose in life. We've seen God's heart is to disciple the nations. That's his passion. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get there? That's his heart. How do we get there? We get there by obeying here. We get there by obeying here. Imagine with me for a moment that every person in this room, everyone, all of you, just decided to disciple one person. Let's make it easy. One person. Imagine with me for a moment. If you forget you, this is you. You're a little white dot. If you forget, here's, here's a picture. This is you. You're the little dot on the screen. And you decide to just disciple one, the blue dot. Now imagine if the intention was this one discipling one and the next one discipling one with the intention that the next one discipled one with the intention, what would happen? The last person who ever needs discipled would be discipled. The last person who ever needs discipled would be discipled. We often talk about having God's eternal perspective in the way that we live our lives. You've heard this before. We want to have the perspective of God in the way we live. We don't talk enough about having God's global perspective in the way we make disciples. It's really easy to get caught up in our own Christian commune, our own discipleship groups. We love each other. We're having a good time. We're growing in the word of God. It's easy to get stuck there. And when we miss God's global perspective, we miss his scope of reaching all nations. God does not just want us to make disciples. What God wants for us is to make disciple makers, not just to be someone that makes disciples and has a really cool Christian group. He wants us to do this so that the whole world will have the opportunity to receive Jesus and follow him. God's global perspective is from you to making disciple makers. You obeying Jesus' commission to make disciple makers will set in motion a chain reaction of disciples making disciple makers, which will mean that the gospel will go from you to all nations. Now, let me speak a little bit like a superhero. You can literally save the world. Do you realize that? You can literally save the world. There's only one direction this can go. 
if we're all obedient to what Jesus calls us to. But you need to actually do it. You need to actually do it. But we're not alone. We're not alone because we have the promise. The process is we teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, starting with the command to go and make disciples. And we don't have to do this alone. Not on your own strength, not on your own power, but because Jesus is with us. This clarifies our mission. Our mission is not just to make disciples, but to make disciple makers. Our mission is not just to make disciples, but to make disciple makers. And let me tell you, this is the normal Christian life. This is not for the extraordinary. It's not for the extremely gifted. It's not for the theologically advanced. It's not for the person who has all the answers. It's for you. It's for me. This is the normal Christian life. It's what Paul did immediately when he came to Christ. It's what the disciples did immediately when they came to Christ. It's what the disciples of the disciples did immediately when they came to Christ. And it's the normal Christian life that we do when we immediately come to Christ. The promise is, I am with you always. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. His command for you to obey is not you alone. He's with you always, and he has all authority. So what can we do? How can you obey the Lord and begin your mission? Let me give you seven easy steps using the acronym MISSION. His mission. Let's start with M. Make disciple makers. You have to commit in your heart, Lord, I want your mission to be my mission. I want to commit to making disciple makers. And there's probably three categories of people in the room right now. One, you are a follower of Jesus. You are a believer and yet you're not making disciples yet. I understand you. People are scary. People are difficult. We don't know what to say all the time. We don't know how to answer people's questions. We don't know how to address people's emotions. It's okay. It's okay to not have all the right answers. It's okay to not do it perfectly. It's okay to say the wrong thing and have to come back next week and say, I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing. But commit to begin. Commit to talking to people who don't know Jesus. Commit to praying for them. Commit to begin. But there's another category of people in here. You are leading people. You have a discipleship group, for example, but they are not making disciples. I want to encourage you to step them up, to challenge them, 
to share with them God's global perspective. And you have to get superhero with it, that's okay. You can save the world if you're willing to obey Jesus' great commission. Challenge them to step out and let them know you don't have to be perfect. It's okay. It's okay to just try. It's okay to fail and to start again. And then there's a third category. You are leading a discipleship group. Your discipleship groups are discipling discipleship groups. And you are doing the whole thing, holy, perfect, and righteous. I want to challenge you. Nobody's perfect, by the way. I want to challenge you to go beyond. Did you know in Metro Manila alone, there are millions of our religious cousins. And I don't mean people who talk about Jesus. They might look like me a little bit. How many of you are intentionally reaching out to them? What about the 15,000 plus South Asian students who come to the Philippines for medical school? Many in Metro Manila. How many of you are intentionally engaging them? I want to challenge you to go beyond. Let's go with the first I. Intentionally befriend non-Christians. This takes intentionality. Many of us are not making disciple makers because we have no one to disciple, right? It takes intentionality to go out there and meet people and love people and share your life with people and eat together and talk together and gain their respect because maybe you don't have it yet. Intentionally befriend non-Christians. First S, stay focused on Christ. This is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your D group. It's not about CCF. It's all about Jesus and Jesus only. If you lose your focus on Christ, you lose your purpose in disciple making. Stay focused on Jesus. The second S, Share the gospel always. Let me ask you, what does your neighbor need? What does your neighbor need? The gospel. What does your non-Christian friend need? The gospel. What does your Christian coworker need? The gospel. And what do you need? The gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. We cannot expect to make disciple makers if we're not even talking about Jesus. Share the gospel always. It's okay to mess up. Share the gospel always. Next I, intercede for non-Christians. How much of your prayer life is devoted to praying for non-Christians? Seriously, think about it. What's the ratio between prayers for our wants, our needs, our desires, and praying for non-Christians. If we're going to make disciple makers among the non-Christians, we have to stand in the gap for them and intercede for them and pray, Jesus, give them a Damascus Road experience. Draw them to yourself. Intercede for non-Christians. Oh, obey all that Christ commanded. The Christian life is a life of becoming more like 
Jesus in the way that we live in our character, in the way that we do in our ministry. It's about becoming more like Jesus. You cannot expect Jesus to make disciple makers through you if you are not striving to obey what Jesus commanded. Obey all that Jesus commanded. Finally end, never forget God's global perspective. Never forget what Jesus cares about. Never forget that his heart is for the nations. Never forget that you're making disciple makers because you love Jesus and he loves the nations. Never forget what is most important. God's global perspective should permeate or fill our whole lives so that we are willing to do this mission until the day it is complete. Until the day it's over. Until the day Jesus comes again and I don't have to stand here, but Jesus will stand here. His global perspective should fill our lives. So I ask you, Obey the Lord. Begin your mission. What would this look like if we all obeyed the Lord and began our mission? How would that change our lost world? On the question how it would look like if we CCF, intentionally and seriously make God's mission our mission? I will tell you, it will look awesome. Amazingly awesome. Hi, I am Pastor Danny Perez, and I am the director of CCF International Church Planting. Why am I here? I'm here because I want to show us What happens to ordinary people like you, like me, when we make God's mission our vision? When we make disciples who will make disciples? And I'd like to start by sharing a story of an ordinary couple in one of our regions across the globe. They are an ordinary couple who made God's mission their mission. Can you show us the video, please? I am Kendon. And I am Jane. And we have been married for 14 years, and we are currently residing in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, for more than 10 years now. Just like everyone who goes abroad, our motivation for uh, migrating to Canada is for a greener pasture, like better career opportunities and good health care and the like. During our first few meetings, I felt uneasy because I had to identify and name all the pride and selfish areas in my life. I discovered about myself that these simple sins that I thought are not pleasing to God, like complaining when I didn't want what my husband asked of me, rolling my eyes or grumbling quietly or slamming the door if I, I get upset. Um, not talking to him for days whenever we had arguments. When I finished making those lists, I realized that I look good as a wife 
from the outside, but on the inside, I was not. And I was full of myself and full of pride. And it was so ugly. In intentional discipleship, I have been discovering lots of pride and selfishness in myself towards my wife and even towards other people. I complain and, and express impatience, especially on, on, on traffic jams. I honk horns because deep inside, I am really mad. And sometimes also, I, I give my wife a cold treatment when we had disagreements and uh, got easily angered when my wife ran late. Making disciples is teaching someone to obey like Jesus did because he was humble and he was selfless. Then I have to obey and I have to follow the footsteps of Jesus and model Christ-likeness first in my family and to everybody. When we repented from our pride and selfishness, I slowly began to see changes in uh, my husband. He now shows his appreciation by um, saying words of affirmation, which is um, not really his nature. And I can really see that he is leading our family by modeling Christ-likeness and being consistent in his walk, whether at home or outside with other people. As for my wife, she's now mindful of her words tone of voice or facial expression whenever she expresses her disappointments and I don't feel disrespected anymore. No more slamming of doors or rolling of eyes or complaining. When we experience the very wonderful result of intentional discipleship, it's just a normal overflow in us in that, in that we became so passionate in passing it on to other couples. There is that desire in our hearts to really encourage them to go through intentional discipleship so that they will also experience what we have experienced. And as the body of Christ here in CCF Edmonton, we pray that uh, small groups, small group members, everyone will embrace and practice intentional discipleship first in their uh, own respective family and then to other people in their sphere of influence. Kendon and Jane, ordinary people like you and me, ordinary couple. What did God do? From ordinary believers, God transformed them like you and me to become disciple makers or disciplers. And then they became church planters. Isn't that awesome? That can happen to you. Now, I, I'd like to show you that, you know, the, Kendon and Jane are just one of the many satellites that we have in Canada. And these are just stories of ordinary people that God is using. And I would like to show you one more testimony. Are you still uh, willing to see one? Okay, this one is from another region uh, of our satellites across the world. And... He's from Australia, and I'd like you to see how this ordinary couple with their family were able to, what, engage and were able to disciple and reach the other nations. Can we play it, please? Hi, my name is Sir Winela Cruz from CCF Sydney, Australia, and for the last eight years, I've been working as an IT professional or IT consultant. In 2019, our IT operation was outsourced to South Asia, and I was assigned to a new team with a people group that seemed to be close to the gospel. God reminded me that I need only to plant the seed, 
and he will be the one to cause the growth. So I began building friendships with my co-workers by learning more about their culture and even some words from their language. Over time, I was able to invite them to just take a leisurely walk when they would share the concerns and problems. I would listen intently and let them speak. Then I would pray for them. One of them was my supervisor, Amir. Though he was leaving our company and had not been a Christ follower yet, God reminded me to trust his timing. Around the same time, I became good friends with another South Asian office mate named Dishan. He was very receptive whenever we would go on walks, talking about life and praying together. God gave me the courage to ask him if he wanted to study the Bible, and he immediately agreed. I learned that they serve millions of gods and believe that they must live a good life to break free from a cycle of reincarnation. I asked Bishal a question. If ever he found that Jesus was the only God who could free him from the cycle of reincarnation, would he accept him? A week after studying God's word, Bishal accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He spoke of a change in his heart after praying to receive Christ and now had a burden for his family and parents to know Jesus as well. This only gave me a greater burden for the people of South Asia. Soon after, I had a strange dream of being in another country. I didn't know anyone there until I saw Amir. This inspired me to check up on him and reconnect. I asked him if he wanted to study the Bible with me, and he said he was okay with it. In our first meeting, he asked, Why me? Why are you sharing this with me? To which I replied, Because I love you, bro, and I want you to know this. I was even able to invite Amir's and Bishal's family in our home for dinner. And I praise God that they were blessed to see our older kids joyfully taking care of their younger kids and making time for family gatherings. Although Amir has not yet accepted Christ, we have a very good friendship. This has kept the door open for the gospel. And while most of Bishal's family is still against Christianity, his wife is slowly opening up to the idea because of the time spent with us. Please pray for Amir and Bishal as well as their families. Pray also that we may continue to show the love of Christ to them until all in their household will be saved. Wow. Again, an ordinary couple reaching the nations of the world. From what? from being an ordinary believer to becoming disciples and eventually church planters. You know, in Oceania today, we are expanding. We have four satellites and 10 house churches. And again, these are ordinary, committed people to make God's mission their mission. And it can happen to all of us. And globally right now, I'd like to show you that God is really amazing. God 
has given us 49 satellites and 73 house churches around the world. Okay? And you know, yes, thank you for clapping, but I'd like to remind every one of us, I want to make you understand that these are not just numbers. Again, these are not just numbers because behind every number is a life of an ordinary person where God is at work to make them modern-day Ananias, modern-day Paul. And just like you and me, God can work in us to make us modern-day Ananias and Paul, making disciples who are making disciples. Now, did this happen accidentally or by chance? Absolutely not. It did not happen by chance because we are very intentional. We are CCF. We are so focused on our mission. And our mission is very simple. Our slogan, every member a discipler. Say it, every member a discipler. Are you members of CCF? Then tell the person next to you, be a discipler. Amen. And you know, every member a discipler, Imad we call it, is our way of making his mission our mission. And let me share you, with you how we're doing it. We do it through our well-known CCF discipleship journey, our process. And we make sure that if everyone goes through this process, they will become disciples. Okay, we have one from the disciples' perspective. You have to engage them, the, 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 the non-believers. You have to edify, evangelize, equip, evangelize, empower. As you can see, the word evangelize is all across the process. And that is from the disciples' perspective. What do we do with the non-believer or the seeker? We take a look at that from the first-timer's perspective. What do we do? As disciples, we journey with them. We journey with them so that they will be able to explore Christ and know more about the Bible. So uh, as you engage them, you make them, these seekers, to grow and become believers and members. Because as they get to know Christ, and as you walk with them, you move them into the direction of now, not only growing, but serving. You, you challenge them to become disciples here and now. And it starts with the family, ideally. And after that, they will become, as what we have seen in the story, multipliers, de-leaders, and church planters. And this can all happen to us. Why? Because God's amazing presence will make this possible. We're not doing it alone. So, sisters, brothers, CCF, every member a discipler. Why? Because disciples clearly are the workers that will bring the plentiful harvest in our midst. Wow. Kyle mentioned the millions of people around us here in the Philippines alone. And the harvest is not going to be possible without the workers. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's the problem? The harvest? No. What's the problem? The workers. And that's why, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And you know who are the workers? You and me. And I'd like to excite you because 
in ICP and for CCF, we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. There are more than 10 million overseas Filipino workers or OFWs as we call them and migrants globally. Now, is this a coincidence? Certainly not. The Filipino diaspora is something that we can have as a key to be able to disciple the nations. Can you imagine, folks, if we get them transformed from non-believers, 10 million of them, to believers, to disciples, and therefore church planters? Can you imagine if we can do that? But well, we cannot do that alone. Look at me, we need your help. Can you partner with us? Can you partner with us? Okay, you can partner with us by number one, praying. Praying that our CCF international satellites and house churches and D groups will expand. Pray for them, they need prayers. Number two, connect. You know, those 10, 10 million OFW workers and migrants, they're, family, they're, family, they're probably your family and friends. Can you connect them to our CCF, ICP satellites at home churches so that we can engage them? And then finally, we want you to give. You know, it takes a lot of resources to be able to continue making disciples who will make disciples. So we would like you to give to CCF Beyond to support our effort to reach the nations. If you want to do this, you can, you can, you can actually um, go downstairs, engage us, and we will see many, many amazing things to happen. So God bless you all as we make his mission our mission. Thank you. Why don't you stay here and let's pray for Pastor Danny and for the international church plants. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in ICP. I thank you for Pastor Danny. This is a, this is a good man. This is somebody who you have been working through, Lord, who you have used to change the world. And we pray, God, that this tip of the iceberg would reveal the whole iceberg. We pray, Lord, that ICP would continue to expand and multiply beyond where they are now, Lord, until the entire world, every nation, has disciplers making disciplers, Lord. We pray that you'd protect them as they're even traveling tomorrow, Lord. Protect them as they head over to another country here in Southeast Asia to talk to others about making disciple makers. We thank you again for what you're doing in ICP. And we pray together, Lord, multiply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. I want to end uh, talking to a fourth category of people here that you need to begin your mission also. I know there are some of you here who in your heart, you say, I'm not confident that Jesus has saved me. I'm not confident in my salvation. I know that I've done things that hurt others. I know others have done things that hurt me. I know I've done things that I regret and I just wish I could take it back. You can't fix those things. You can't fix those things. But Jesus can. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you. If I could talk to each one of you face to face, I would tell you 
Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his life. He gave his perfect life in exchange for yours. And when he gave that life, he rose again on the third day and he defeated your sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan and demonic powers. And he asks you to receive him. If you're here, you are Paul. And this is your Damascus Road experience. So if you are not confident in your salvation, if you're not confident in Jesus that he has saved you, begin your mission today by praying this prayer with me. Why don't we pray together? Lord, I know that uh, I'm here for a reason. I know, Jesus, that you brought me here. Uh, I didn't know why I came here, but I'm here, Lord. And I recognize that this is my Damascus Road experience. That you, Jesus, are drawing me to yourself. That I've done things that hurt others. That I've done things I regret. That I've done things I just wish I could change. But I can't, Lord. And I recognize that you can. I pray that you would forgive me for those things. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, Lord, for the things I've done that I'm not even aware of. I want to know you. I want to enter into a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would give me the confidence today of my salvation. So that when I'm asked, am I confident in my salvation? My response can be yes. That I don't live anymore with hope for an eternity without you, but a hope for joy and eternity with you forever, Lord, and with your people. And Jesus, I pray for those who made that decision this morning. I pray, God, that they would see how important this decision is and that they would share it with everyone around them. That from them, Lord, you would raise up the next generation of Paul's the next generation of Ananias so that all nations would have the opportunity to make the same choice, to receive you, to become your disciple, and to make disciple makers. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, CCF family. Welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. My name is Akemonte from Beyond, the missions department of CCF. We are here today with our speaker, Brother Kyle Barrington, to answer some of your questions. Hi, Brother Kyle. Hi. Why is making disciples and sharing the gospel necessary in living the Christian life? Can I just focus on my personal relationship with God and grow on my own? Um, good question. What really this means is it's not an either or. It's a both and. To focus on your relationship with God is to go and make disciples of all nations. And why? Because Jesus commanded it. And Jesus commands us in Scripture to obey the things that he has commanded. So part of growing with the Lord, part of growing in your relationship with God, is actually going and making disciples. So if you want to focus on that, praise the Lord. But in order to grow, you're going to have to also go.
and make disciples. Wonderful answers. Thank you for answering and sharing your insights, Brother Kyle. We are now on the second Sunday of our Missions Month, and I hope that you guys are learning about God's mission because His mission is our mission. To know more about CCF Beyond and our upcoming events, you can scan the QR code on the screen. That's it for CCF Sunday Fast Track. God bless, and we'll see you next week.